You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, friends, we're back for another episode of Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. And again, I am in the tech lab of Alex Valero. So for those of you watching on Rumble and on YouTube, you'll notice the green behind us. Now, my guest today is here live in Katy, Texas for the second in-person interview I'm really doing ever at least here in Texas. And her name is Cherie. Now, Cherie was introduced to me years ago. She is a survivor of satanic ritual abuse, government mind control projects, and has been exposed to the worlds of the mafia. Uh, she has Russian stuff, Chinese stuff, uh, alien experiences. I, I, I mean, she has a story that is going to shock and, well, at least some of you, uh, the rest of you, <laughs> you're ready. And, you know, I, 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 Sheree, I've been running with this line. I, it's like, y'all ain't ready. Right. But you were born ready. I was born ready. You were. You were. And, and some of these people have been, I've been learning that yeah. some people are ready. Right. So we're going to talk to them like they are ready. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Because Cherie, I mean, I'm telling you, friends, she is a hero, but wow, is her story incredible. And so we are, are going to dive right in. First of all, thank you for coming to Katie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So thank you. So I just want to tell them, I do feel to preface this because I feel it's really important that I haven't listened to anybody's stories. I haven't listen to podcasts. I haven't watched anything. I haven't read anything. Um, so all this is memories and things that have come up in um, sessions. And so I know it's real. And so it gives me great, um, great confidence to be able to tell you that if you think you're crazy, you're probably not. So I always thought I was crazy. So but we know you're not crazy. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shuri, you know, I was introduced to you uh, years ago. And uh, basically, we got to pick up and, and do some sessions where another ministry had left off. Right. And from that point, you have grown leaps and bounds. Right. I, first of all, I just want to applaud how far you have come. Thank you. Because the Sheree I'm talking to today is not the Sheree I met. Right. Not even a little bit. Right. And 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 that is that that is a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's a, that's the other thing I want to say is I could never do this on my own. I, I it is the power of the living God, and I am really grateful for this whole process. A lot of people, I think, get. Um, really frustrated with the process and or how long the process is but I would not know God the way I know him and he has shown up for me time and time again and has loved me when I so unlovable I didn't love myself and he has been just he's been my redeemer he's been my healer he has rescued me and I am grateful and I'm grateful for this ministry because 
people couldn't help me. They there was no help, and I'm really so grateful for this ministry. And um, I would not be where I am. I and I just thank you, Dan, for everything you've done for me and for Alex too. And um, thank you, everybody. So, um, wow. Yeah. So I'm really grateful. I want you to know that. It means the world to me. And I never thought that I could sit here and not be fractured and not be disassociated and not have 80 million parts that are vying for attention or not be, um, you know, drug addicted or in mental institutions. And I'm... I'd like to say I'm kind of normal. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever be all the way normal, but I'm more like a normal human being. And so that never was even a concept. In But now the fact that I just remember my days, and it's amazing. Like, I remember my whole day. Wow. I remember yesterday. <clears throat> And like that's huge because I didn't. I anyway. So I'm wow. um, just life is different. Life has hope. Like I didn't have hope, and now I can look to the future to be like, okay, like wow, like God has brought me this far. Like the sky's the limit. Like imagine what I can do to help other people because now I'm not all screwed up and. I'm not just living moment by moment and not remembering last month or last year or the things. And um, part of the thing I want to say is I'm still remembering things and I'm still missing years of my life. And um, so I guess talking about life, I guess we can talk about the beginning. I think that's a great idea. Let's, because our audience is just now being introduced to you. This won't be the last time we have a chat. Thanks. But it is the first. Right. So let's start with conception. Okay. What happened? So um, my my mother and father um, were living in Japan. And um, my father's in the military. He's in the Air Force. And um, so my mom was pregnant and she had a miscarriage um at like four and a half months it was a boy and so she went in to have um to be make sure the uh, the baby was gone and all the you know everything was she was cleaned out and what happened at that time was they implanted her with me but and it was on purpose it was um I was basically mixed together in a Petri dish. And so I had some of my father's DNA, some of my mom's, and but also other DNA as we come later to find out. Um, Dragon DNA, mermaid, merpeople DNA, alien, different species of alien DNA, and um, vampire, and it was a whole big... Basic. I think they had soup. some some werewolf in there. Yes, werewolf yeah. and shape shifting. Wow. Yep. Yep. So, um, so they, my mom, was pregnant immediately for me, and then um, when I was born, um, 
they were still living in Japan. And um, my mom said that she never felt attached to me and that I would cry and cry. And um, she would put me in the middle of a table and just let me cry. And But one of the things that I remember even even back then was I was seeing demons and I was being tormented. And one of the things um, that has plagued me my whole life is the lack of attachment to my parents, neither my mom or my father. And then I later had a sister. But then even in my life with people, with places, and I've moved around so much, I didn't ever really have a home and um so but I just remember being tormented like from day one and then my mom had a woman in Japan who helped her out and so she was called Mama-san and she would take me as a infant to the different um, Japanese temples and she dedicated me to other gods, which that's a huge open door to the enemy to have a legal right to come in and do whatever in your life. And it's a big hot mess. And um, so then things just got worse in worse um and like the whole thing about my father like he always hated me you know and um I love my dad you know I I loved him I wanted him to love me and my mom but love have my mother love me but that even to this day, still hasn't happened. And um, God has healed my broken heart. And, um, but, um, so then we, um, after Japan, we went to Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where my sister was born. And we lived right near Area 51. Was that a, was that a military move? Um, yes, it was a military move. Okay, yes. so your dad was restationed. Yes. And so you guys, as a family, yeah. were now here. Right. <clears throat> now, um, with this in mind, it, it, just coming back to the, the the conception of it. Right. You know, I just want to say something for the listening audience. And, and, and this is, this is a, a, a type of memory that is not unique to Sheree. I, I've met actually individuals over the years, like many right. that have gotten the memories of being formed in, in a test tube, in, in a, a laboratory environment. Right. And then there's an implantation event. Right. Um, sometimes it's during a ritual conception. Other times other things are going on. And, and what I want to um, just say to that is, is there's a reason why this is happening. Right. And and happening more and more. And what the kingdom of darkness works on is, is a principle leaning into iniquity. Right. They know that it requ- they, they need iniquity in the bloodline in order to pull certain things off. Right. Certain types of iniquity allow for certain types of power. Right. And certain types of utilization of an individual. So 
the 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 man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist is is basically the perfection of iniquity right. through human um, agency. But but along the way, within a new world order structure, they want certain people with certain iniquity foundations. Right. Uh, in order to do certain things. And what they realized is they don't have to breed two people with certain iniquity backgrounds together anymore to get what they want only. That's not what they're limited to. They are engineering the kind of iniquity foundation they are looking for in individuals. And so they're modifying the DNA right out the gate before implantation. Because when that other DNA is wrapped in, then that is the insertion of types of iniquity that it is not even human iniquity, right? Allowing for certain powers and abilities. And we'll we'll get later to some of your powers and abilities because you could shut down whole power grids at times, but we'll get there later. Um, but there's there's a reason why it's a science and it's 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 intentional it's diabolical right it's real so with that we're moving right you are in Las Vegas yes what did that mean for you so um, when we moved to Las Vegas that's where my sister was born yeah um, one of the things that I remember very clearly. And I, this has stayed with me up until very recently. So this is really important. So every time I would go to bed at night, um, and like I just said, it just stopped like the last couple years of this happening to me. So every night I would go to bed, I would feel bugs crawling on me. And it was like spiders ants, whatever, but mostly spiders. And I would be in bed and I'd be terrified and they would like be, I would feel them crawling in my ears and my eyes and up my nose and down my throat. And I'd be like choking. And, but I couldn't do anything about it because I would be frozen in terror because I could see a figure in my room. It has been with me it had been with me my whole life, this big black figure, and I could hear him or it breathing. And I was so more terrified of that thing that was in my room that was just that you could feel the evil. And I, I would remember being, I was so such a little girl and I would be like sweating and then finally with the bugs like I couldn't take it anymore and then I'd jump out of bed and rip the covers off and be looking for the bugs and they weren't ever there but it was always a I could feel them and they it just it was horrible and I I think one of the things that they do to you like that is like you are in a constant state of terror you're in a constant state. You never, you don't have equilibrium. You don't have peace, even like from the beginning. And I, that's one of the things they do to you so that you you don't know what normal feels like. The fear, the terror, the unease, lack of sleep is always 
there. Like my, my whole life I've been sleep deprived and you know, they, it, that does things to your body. And then being in constant fear and terror is a thing like your adrenals get shot. You end up like with a lot of physical issues and, um, because of it. And, um, just that was a constant. And then, um, so, and then talking about the fear, I remember um, that my parents bringing me to this place, and it was like a pre-preschool, because I was only three, and then I was so terrified to go to this place, and they would literally have to, like, peel me off my mom's leg, and I would be crying, and um, I would go into this place and um, then come home. And so I, this is really important because I remember doing stuff at the kitchen table and my mother saying to my father, you know, you are a traitor to this company, uh, to this country. You are, um, you're, you're a traitor. Like you are a horrible person. And, um, in my father, I remember distinctly they were arguing behind me, and I remember he said, Oh, you're not gonna think I'm a traitor much longer. And so I know that whatever they did to my mom, like programming, so she was on board with what they were doing to me. So basically, my father, who was in the Air Force, <clears throat> sold me into government programming, government programs. And <clears throat> so while I was at the table hearing them argue, I'm learning Russian. I was, I was learning Russian, how to read and write and speak Russian before I could even, um, knew how to write in English. And I was mantling, you know, dismantling and putting together weapons at three years old, like just turned three. And um, one of the things, you know, talking about the DNA was I excelled at everything I did. I excelled and I could, and to this day, I have a photographic memory and I could just do things that most kids are learning to like, you know, jump rope or <clears throat> play in a pogo stick or, you know, learn how to ride a bike. But I was already far advanced than all of them. And um, one of the things I um, learned was from my family, it was never good enough, you know. And so it was well, if you got an A, how come you didn't get an A plus, you know, all through school? I never even ever had to open a book. I never studied. I never, I just could look at a page and I remembered exactly where it was. And I learned very early, like during a test, I couldn't write what I saw, like remembered in what I saw because I'd, they thought I was cheating. I always had to like rewrite the words that I could see on the page in my head. And, um, so, um, so they wouldn't think I was cheating, but, um, but then like when my sister was born, 
it's so weird because we're so opposite. Yes. And she was loved. She was always told yes. And I was always told no. And I remember even really young, you know, I learned I couldn't ask for anything because the answer would be no. So I would say to my sister, hey, um, will you go ask mom if we can have a cookie, you know, or can you ask if we can go outside and play? Because Mm -hmm. they would always say yes to her, but no to me. And um, I... uh, And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I always thought, like, how could I be better? Like, what is wrong with me that they don't love me? And I, my, throughout my whole, my whole life, even adult life, like, I would see the relationship my mom and my sister had. And I just remember, like, looking. And seeing my mom and my sister like laughing and giggling, and I always was an outsider, and I never felt like I had a family. I never felt like I belonged. Like that word belong used to make me weep because I didn't belong anywhere or with anybody. And we moved so much that I didn't even, couldn't even attach to a place. And I was really shy and I didn't make friends well. And then I always looked different, you know, because we went to, you know, different countries and different places. I always looked different, had the wrong accent, you know, the wrong look. And I was so ashamed of myself my whole life but then there was this other part of my life that I excelled mm-hmm. and I was amazing at and in one of the things that came up in a session with Alex mm-hmm. was how you could earn like jewels you could earn and how I I always loved the color red, and it was because the first things I was earning were rubies. Ah. I was earning rubies, and then you get really good, and they make it so you're competitive with other people during training and stuff like that. And I was earning fistfuls of diamonds, fistfuls, and, like, they were nothing. Like, fists, but you earned them, and you excelled, and, like... Just that's crazy. Like the jewels that mm. they do that. So, um, so then after Las Vegas, we moved back to Massachusetts, and um, so so back to Massachusetts. That means your your parents were going. Yes, back. but you had, this was your first, mm-hmm. and that's where they were from. And besides. Uh, being unloved and told no often. Right. Was there other mistreatment that yeah. your parents were beginning to? Yes. So I knew we were going to talk about this and I already cried. So um, I'm okay. <laughs> I already cried about this. Um, <clears throat> so um, my father would 
he was very abusive and he would um, beat me. He would, and it would be for nothing. He would, say I would be sitting at the kitchen table. He would just walk in and I would be doing my homework or something. And he would literally, he was a big man and he would just knock me off the chair and I would like fall on the floor and I was always really tiny. And, and so I would like, be like, what was that for? And he's like, because, and I would stand up and he did this until I left at 14, but he would then knock me down again and I would stand up. And I would, like, have a bloody face, and he would knock me down again. And I always stood up, like I always did. I always got up. And I would be like, I don't understand why. Like, And he would be like, just stay down, just stay down. And I'm like, I would just stand up every time. And I was like, he's like, it's working. Like, he would say it's working. And I didn't understand what that meant, but it was to teach me, like, toughness, but to be able to withstand, you know, physical torture, physical... Well, at that time, it wasn't torture, but at that time, it was just beatings. But more than just what the physical stuff was it broke my heart like I loved my dad like and um one of the things that he used to do was he would separate me from my family I would get grounded for some small infraction and I would be sent to my room and no tv no books no music nothing and I wasn't allowed to eat with my mom and my sister with them as a family. I would have to come down after they all ate and I would have to clean up the kitchen, do the dishes. I became anorexic, you know, um, and just they weren't allowed to speak to me. I was always shunned. Like I was always, um, not even allowed to be with my family. And then, um, he, I, one night, um, my father, I had fallen asleep and I didn't hear my father call me, um, to come down and do the dishes. And my mom and my sister had left and, um, he came upstairs and he dragged me out of bed by my hair dragged me down the stairs and then out into the front yard and it was pouring raining and he used to have steel toe boots and he kicked the living crap out of me like I was like I'll never forget like I couldn't move I was like bloody and muddy and broken and just And I was, everything was always like a shock, you know, like, and he would, how he was too, was he, if he came in in the morning and he said, get up, if you weren't like standing at attention, he would rip the covers off and he'd grab you by your ankles and like 
yank you out of bed and like you'd hit the hardwood floor. Like I can't tell you how many concussions I had, but it was a shock. And like, I always, the hyper vigilance of waiting for the stairs to creak for him to come upstairs. And, um, I just found out, um, a few years ago that a problem that I had my whole life, um, I, um, was constipated, like chronically constipated sometimes. And this is not an exaggeration. I would, I could go two, two and a half months without going to the bathroom one time. And I was going to several years ago, go to have, um, uh, it's called, they were going to take out a part of my intestine. It's called a subtotal colectomy. And, um, the reason they were going to do that because I was actually so constipated. I was vomiting feces and it was, that was like horrible and embarrassing and he, I was always so embarrassed about bodily functions and I didn't realize until the doctor, um, I had started seeing this doctor, um, who was going to perform the surgery. And, um, when they were doing the testing, you know, they put a probe up you and, um, I remembered what my father did to me and, um, So since I was a little girl, um, my father sodomized me and he would, he would, um, stick my head down in the couch. And so I always wondered my whole life, like why I would panic if I couldn't breathe, you know, and if I had something on my face and I couldn't, I would panic and I didn't realize why. And until the doctor was doing these testings on me and the memories came flooding back of my father doing this to me and like ripping me open. And he, there was so, the doctor said there was so much damage that, um, he couldn't even believe like that I ever went to the bathroom and, um, it was like far up and it was totally, it had taken, it had torn me so badly and damaged me so badly. Like I didn't have, um, feeling there. So like there was, I, you know, people run to the bathroom and say, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And I was always so confused about that because I never knew what that feeling was, that urge to go. I never knew. And, um, so it wasn't until then, um, that I found out why, but I do have to say, share what God did for me because um, I was going to have that surgery and then I heard that I could end up with a colostomy bag for the rest of my life. And I'm like, I am <clears throat> not willing to have a colostomy bag and <clears throat> check this out. So I asked the doctor, I'm like, like, why would I have a colostomy bag? Like, why would that be necessary? This is what he said to me. He said, well... 
just in case when I'm doing the surgery, in case the stapler doesn't work. And I was like, okay, with all due respect, I know I don't have your education. I'm not a doctor, but like, wouldn't common sense dictate like you have two staplers and maybe even three? <laughs> like, and I said, um, yeah, I'm not going to have this surgery. And um, however, what God did, I got to tell you, it was a miracle. I... Um, that Christmas, I went home and a friend of mine who's a believer, she said, hey, I really feel like God wants you to come meet this woman at, um, who works with us. And um, she has a gift of healing. And I didn't tell her anything about you, but I f uh, tell her anything about you, but I feel you should come. And so I went and she totally read my mail and she started crying because wow. God was showing her what my father did. And she prayed over me. Mm -hmm. God healed my heart. Wow. But the next morning, I was out to breakfast with my mother. And all of a sudden, I had this weird, strange urge. And I was like, what is that? Like, I, I was completely confused. It was so foreign to me. And I was like, oh. I think I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like it was so weird. And then um, I'm happy to announce to anybody who really cares, not that it's anybody would care, but I have gone to the bathroom every day since and sometimes two or three times a day. And it is so liberating to, um, first of all, be healed. And the second is um, to not be full of crap anymore. And I honestly was hoping that once I wasn't so constipated and full of crap that I would have beautiful, sparkling blue eyes, but that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, um, oh, well. But at least I'm going to the bathroom, and at least my heart doesn't, my heart's not broken anymore from my father doing that. Um, and, yeah. Wow. Wow. And I remember because when we were doing work together, yeah. this was a conversation. Yeah. Like I was actually there as you took this journey you know, from one side to the other. Right. I remember rejoicing when you made the announcement, like, this is working. Yeah. Like, oh, you yeah. mean we're not going to have to do that surgery? Yeah. Power of God. Power of God. Wow. Yeah. Miraculous. But this type of abuse began way early. Yeah. And then it discontinued. Yep. Now, as you transitioned to Massachusetts, you had some foundation from a, what seems to be some kind of Russian indoctrination camp. Right. Which is interesting because we should have been at Cold War. Yeah. But here we have Russians training American children. Yes. In the United States. Yes. Yeah. Just down the street from the uh, Area 51 base. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And so, and then when we moved to Massachusetts, we were not even half hour where we lived from um, the Air Force base. Mm -hmm. It's actually called McDill Air Force. No, not McDill. Sorry, that's Florida. It was Fort Devens. Okay. It's since been, it's not a 
military base anymore, as far as I know. But I, um, my father had, um, I didn't know this was happening. This is part of being afraid to go to sleep. And then um, I was 10 years old when we moved um, to Massachusetts. And I remember a man coming to get me. There were actually two men. They would always come in twos and they would take me out of bed. They would like put chloroform or something in a rag over my over my face so it would like knock me out um and I remember one time I wasn't like fully out and my I remember seeing my father up above because they were bringing me down the stairs and him saying like what the hell are you doing here now like you were supposed to be here in two hours you're early and they're like the timetables moved up and they would take me for torture, for training, for programming. And um, so, but at that Air Force base, um, they used to do um, like war training. And I don't know exactly, I don't remember what it's called. Well, they called it war games. That's what it was called. And I remember being in the dead of winter in Massachusetts it's like freezing cold and running around in like short sleeve ripped clothing like with machine guns with learning how to do that how to do warfare how to do like close combat and how to best you know slit somebody's throat and gouge their eyeballs out or like yeah all that kind of stuff and they taught I was really appalled later in life to learn like I know how to dismember somebody I know how to um disembowel somebody I know how to like rip their spine out and all kinds of crazy things it was pretty appalling um when I was remembering all these things and um yeah and part of I think what was really hard remembering the things is being horrified Mm -hmm. that I knew what to do could do it and that um I did it Mm. You know, like I did it and they would send me to kill people and um, and I could do it like it was nothing. I mean, that's so weird, you know, and then to not remember it until years later and then the faces of the people that you had to kill and um, that just is something I had to work really hard on forgiving myself and receiving God's forgiveness. And I remember one time you and I were talking and a memory came up and you, I was mortified, horrified. And, but you were like, Cherie, do you remember we were talking like last month and you have, 
these amazing encounters with God and how much he loves you and encounters with the lion of the tribe of Judah and these encounters with Jesus showing up and just loving on you and blessing you. And he go, you're like, back then this was happening. And even then God knew that a month from now we'd be talking about this and he loved you the same Come on. And he already knew it. Yes. He already knew. He yes. knew. You're just finding out, like you're just remembering, but he knew and he loved you. And that just was so beautiful and so. You know, I, I, I love to tell people that fact. Yeah. There is nothing that you can learn about yourself. Yeah that God doesn't already know and already love you in spite of. That's amazing. It's that to me is so harder to believe and receive. Sometimes Mm. I'm better at it now because I've had so much healing and know him so well. Now that was harder to, believe for me that God would forgive me, that he would heal me, that he would want good things for me, then it was to believe like the weird crap, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I don't even know that I'm allowed to say crap and I'm hoping that's okay with everybody, but the weird stuff and the horrible stuff, like to wrap your mind around, it's harder to wrap it was for me anyway, wrap my mind around this God who knew it all. He knew the end from the beginning and that he has blessed me. He loves me. He's healed me. He and has loved me when I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror or love myself. I despised myself and he has just... Mm-hmm blown my mind with his overwhelming love and acceptance that I never had with anybody. And um, just, I am so grateful to God. And so. Incredible. Yes. So you're, I mean, still a young kid. Yep. In Massachusetts. Yep. And, 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 and I mean, basically, can we call this, assassin programming i mean are they training you yes yeah yeah to do missions yes and 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 this is what was this happening at the military base or just nearby um it was happening at the military base and it was also happening um at um there was a place down the street from us it was called the goodfellows club and um it, it I used to ride my bike by there and they, um, there was all the, there was like no windows in this building Mm -hmm. and it was just like a door and it was called the, yeah, it, and I remember having to go in there and, um, they would do all these, like, satanic rituals mm-hmm. and they would give they would like drug you and um 
they would do really terrible things. But one of the worst things, they were like, if you don't come here, because it was down the street from my house, if you don't come here, we're going to do these things to your sister. Wow. And I loved my sister. And um, to this day, like, she has no idea how often they used her as, well, if you don't do this, then we're going to do it to her. And my sister has always been uh, really laid back, mm-hmm. you know, mommy's girl. Yeah. Um, and I knew she could never handle the torture, the abuse, the things that they did to me. Then I was like, whatever you have to do, just don't hurt my sister, you know? And that, like, the stress of that, you know, and I was 10 when that started. I nine and a half, ten. 10 when we moved in that, it started immediately and um, just, um, and I know a lot of um, the people were Freemasons and I know that they were Illuminati and um, what, you know, we were talking earlier about the bloodline and on my father's side, is their name was Valois or Valois in French. They were a dynasty in France, and they actually um, started the Jacobite branch of Freemasonry. And they became so terrible that um, they went underground and became Illuminati. And the good, quote-unquote, Freemasons, like, despised them. They were so evil. And so that's, like, the bloodline. And then also I found out bloodline, you know, mm-hmm. stuff um, that they had the dynasty for it was a few hundred years. And they had uh, one of the um, royal men was supposed to be on the um, throne of France and he was the rightful heir and Joan of Arc actually helped him to get his rightful throne. He, in turn, betrayed her. And then she that's how she got burned at the stake, is because of one of my ancestors. Look. Yeah, betrayed her. So, look, it curses come, you know. You know, people talk about curses. You know, they come down generational lines. That stuff is legit, you know. And, um, yeah. So, wow. Okay. So in Massachusetts, yeah, you were dealing with the military base mm-hmm. that was programming there. Um, the Goodfellows Club. Yeah. There was also a Catholic school. Yes. Yes. I went to a Catholic school um, from the time I was in fifth grade. Hmm. And I was so terrified to go to school. Like, none of my family understood. Like, Sundays were the worst day. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family. And so my 
aunt paid for us to go to this school at the time. She was a nun. And my sister, who's three years younger than me, would take me by the hand and walk me to school because I was so afraid to go to school. And nobody was like, why? <laughs> why? Why is she so afraid? And uh, Sundays were like the word. I had this dread. And I think that like the dread, I don't know if anybody can um, relate to this, but I had dread my whole life. Like this thing that was here and in the pit of my stomach my whole life um, until not that far back in God's like the bad things don't happen to me anymore. But um, at this school, they had um, underground tunnels and they would sometimes call you like to the principal's office during the day and you would be gone from classes. But the like other people didn't know like what was going on and under the tunnels, um, they ran from the school to the nuns where the nuns lived and then to the church um, and because it was all in the same area and then also to where the priests lived. And um, yeah, they're not holy. They're wow. not good people. They were um, skeletons of aborted babies in the tunnels um from the nuns and um the priests um did things too but and it was weird because i don't think it was a lot of kids it was only like a f m me and a, like one or two other people like in the programming like the things they do and so essentially, there was human trafficking happening in this Catholic compound, church, yeah. school, yeah, um, living facility, the whole campus. Yeah, but that was trafficking that really only went to your knowledge as far as the individuals like yourself that they knew were in the projects, right? And the other people weren't aware right. of what was happening, right? And for all, I mean, considerations, you weren't in your presenter aware. I didn't know. All I knew is, was I was so afraid to go to school. Wow. Like, so afraid. And that's, I think, when I stopped crying mm -hmm. because nobody ever listened, mm -hmm. you know? And I would be like, I'm so afraid and nobody listened and just looked at me like um like what the heck is your problem like it's just school but i was i was terrified to go and and i think that was around the time i stopped crying about anything like i was 10 and i just stopped crying stopped telling anybody how I felt goodness, and um, that more caused me to not feel attached to anybody because I 
didn't have anybody who cared about me. The actually only person in my life who did care about me was my grandmother. And um, I remember, uh, she's with the Lord now, but I remember one time I, I ran away from home at 14 and apparently she was looking for me and had been praying and asking God like to bring me to her doorstep. And one night I showed up at like two o'clock in the morning and I was bloody. My clothes were torn. I was barefoot and it had been pouring raining. And, um, she was like, you are my miracle. Like God brought you to me. And I remember I was numb and didn't remember where I had come from, what happened to me. And, um, I remember her like putting me in the shower and giving me food I hadn't eaten and like the longest time. And, um, yeah, I had my grandmother, but I, the weird thing, what they do to you so you don't feel worthy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. my grandmother was so amazing and kind and loving, and she knew God, and I felt, and I didn't know why I felt this way, but I even, even until like she was, died a few years ago, I couldn't attach to her. I couldn't, I never felt I was good enough. I never felt like I could love her. And I avoided her because like she loved me and I couldn't, I couldn't receive love at all. And it made me. And then I felt guilty, you know, because she'd be like, how come you're not visiting me? And could you come and visit me? And I would go, but not like I wanted to, not like I should have or could have. But I felt that she was so beautiful and pure and lovely. And I was. Wow. I was not. So, but um, I am grateful for her. So, you know, it's beautiful that you had that person. Yep. Yeah. And 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 of course, this is where you know the the conversation becomes more and more intricate because with each each year of life each layer of programming, um, the complexity of what's going on in your inner world is becoming more and more extraordinary. Right. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes that, you know, are a backdrop for why you're in this Catholic institution, which is doubling as a programming environment. Um, The involvement with the programming at the military base is just an ongoing theme. Then you have this group of Satanists. We could just call them that at the Goodfellows Club. Right. Men. Right. That were absolutely, and and, and you left out a lot of details. Details I know. Okay. Well, if you, go ahead. (laughs) I, I, okay. I'll tell you. All right. All right. You don't have to say anything you are not comfortable saying. All right. So we got a dog. My father bought us a puppy. 
It was a beagle puppy. Is this part of what you're talking about that maybe? It's heavy. Okay. So I will say it. I wouldn't even be able to talk about this for the longest time, but um, my father bought my sister and I a puppy, a beagle puppy. It was a girl, and we named her Buttons. And you know what? What? I'm going to pause you right there. Okay. Do you know why? Why? Because our audience has to process what you've already said. Oh, okay. Friends, we're going to have to have a part two because this is a real story. Okay. And we're going to give it the time it deserves, as well as all the other stories that are going to come on the back of it. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. And until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Visit me at dandevall.com where you'll discover merch, books, and the opportunity to engage in our private social network. Join the tribe by subscribing to our email list and supporting this podcast.